Shri Gaudiya Vaishnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Shri Jiva Goswami Ki Jai, Satsandarbhas Ki Jai, Anantakota Vaishnavinda Ki Jai. Glorious devotees, thank you for coming to another presentation on Srila Jiva Goswami's 
satsandarbhas. We are now in the Krishna Sandarbha, and we will continue uh, from our reading of the very beginning of the Krishna Sandarbha, wherein Sri Jiva Goswami uh, presents verse by verse uh, the various avatars um, as presented in the Srimad Bhagavatam's uh, first canto, third chapter by Sutta Goswami in response to the request, rest, request of the sages to do so. So he begins, of course, by um, discussing the first avataric descent, basically the Purusha avatars uh, coming in three features. And we've be he's begun that discussion, and now we're up to the third Anucheta. And Jiva Goswami presents in his third Anucheta the following. Thereafter, Sri Sutta describes the essential nature, Swarup, of these two forms, considering them as one in a general sense. That is verily the form of Bhagavan, consisting of extremely potent, or jita, unalloyed being, Visuddha Sattva. Uh, the two forms uh, being discussed here are the Purusha avatar Karna Dakshai Vishnu and Garbha Dakshai Vishnu. So Jiva Goswami is bringing out the fact that these two manifestations of uh, the Paramatma feature of Bhagavan Sri Krishna, they can be seen in a similar light. So he's going to bring out how that they can be seen as Achinta beta beta, simultaneously one and different. And we see that uh, various acharyas, they also refer to uh, the advent of the various avatars as coming from both, uh, both Karna Dakshai Vishnu and Garba Dakshai Vishnu uh, in different places. So we'll, we'll get to that as we go through the presentation one by one of the various avatars that are highlighted in the Bhagavat Purana. Basically, that's what uh, is being presented by Sutta Goswami is these are the various avatars that Sukadev Goswami brought to light in his narration of the Bhagavatam to Maharaj Parikshit. So those Various avatars are spoken about through in different places in the Bhagavatam, and we'll see that as we look at the various Anuchetas and how they're, uh, they highlight where they are in the Bhagavatam uh, in the commentary. And, and then, of course, we will come up in due course of time as we go step by step through these avatars and their presentation by Sutta Goswami and representation by Jiva Goswami in this beginning of his Krishna Sandarbha uh, come up to the real 
key to the matter, uh, which is the Parivas Sutra. So this third Anucheta continues as follows here again, highlighting the, the likeness between the two Purushas, the first and second Purushas. The pronoun tat refers to the Purusha form of Sri Bhagavan. The emphatic particle vi implies that it is well known as such because it manifests from extremely potent unalloyed being, visuddha urjita sattva, and because Bhagavan's potency, Shakti, is non-different from his essential being. Swarup, the form of the Purusha is indeed Visuddha Sattva. It is also said regarding the second Purusha that his form is identical to his Swarup. O Supreme Lord, I do not regard your essential being, which is purely blissful, free from duality and of the nature of unobstructed effulgence to be different from this form of yours. The point Jiva is establishing here is that the Purusha avatars that manifest the material cosmos, the Paramatma feature of the Supreme is purely spiritual. We could think that it's not purely spiritual, not Visuddha Sattva, uh, because of its manifestation of the matter, the material world itself. So you would think that you could think that, and that's what's being emphasized here. You don't want to think that the Lord is in any way loses his purity by manifesting the material world, which does have and contain impurity due to the influence of his external shakti. Jiva Goswami continues in the Sanucheda. In verse 133, the word visudam, unalloyed, means devoid of even a portion of inert matter, it being a manifestation of his swarup shakti. Orjita, extremely potent, means the most powerful of all because it is the embodiment of supreme bliss, as stated in the Shruti. If this Paramatma were not present in the space of the heart, a kasa, as the personification of bliss, who indeed would breathe? Who would live? Consequently, if the body of the Purusha consists of unalloyed being, how much more must this be so in regards to Swayan? Swayam Bhagavan himself. So Jiva's really pounding the post here. Let's not misunderstand the supreme the supremacy of even this 
initial descent of divinity uh, that produces and maintains and supports the material manifestation. Some highlights from the commentary stressing this point. The form of Bhagavan is devoid of any tinge of inert matter. Its essence is that of pure Visuddha Sattva, or unalloyed being, which is inherently conscious, whereas the phenomenal Sattva that constitutes Prakriti is inert. The second adjective used is specifying Visuddha Sattva is Orjita, which Sri Jiva Goswami glosses defines as the most powerful of all, being supremely blissful by nature. It is quite telling that Bhagavan's power is not due primarily to his physical or mental prowess, but because he is intrinsically Ananda. This theme will be elaborated in Preeti Sandarbha. And it seems that Jiva Goswami has planted a seed here for that future discussion. Very interesting seed to plant in our consciousness that the topmost manifestation of the Lord's unlimited potencies is this Pladini Shakti, Ananda. He's intrinsically Ananda. And this, this potency rules all. And of course, the supreme manifestation of that potency is in praying. In, it, is, it is the substance of the loving exchange between the Lord in, and his devotee. So this, this is the ruling potency of all. Even, it, even as Jiva's pointed out here, when it comes to the material manifestation. And this is carrying forth from, from the end of the Paramatma Siddharva, wherein Jiva made it clear that the intent of divinity in the material manifestation, the primary intent is to give further opportunity to devotees who had not completed entirely their full turning of consciousness to Krishna, to the Supreme, in the last course of the material manifestation. So the material manifestation, it is, it's, it's on a clock, <laughs> so to speak. It punches in and it punches out uh, like the materialistic worker in the factory. Material nature comes into being. It lasts uh, for a specified duration and then everything comes to an end. Now, certain purified jivas who have completed their course of purification uh, leave during the manifestation of the material world. Some others 
who have also completed their course of purification uh, take up residence in the higher echelon planetary systems of a material manifestation, um, residing there with Brahma and other great sages um, in those higher planets. And when, the, when, when Brahma, when the material manifestation is wrapped up, they also attain the spiritual realm, Vaikuntha, at that time. So some jivas can leave during a manifestation, some leave at the end of the manifestation, and unfortunately, some are left behind. They did not complete the course of complete turning of consciousness. There was still, still some alloy, some consciousness that had attachment to the Lord's external energy. So therefore, the Lord, out of his kindness, he's not going to leave them. He's not going to leave them hanging, so to speak. The material manifestation is going to come into being again. And it's interesting in, I came across one statement by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. Uh, it may be even here copied into the commentary as we go forward, is, to, is a statement that the entirety of Brahma's life is less than one second in the time of Bhagavan. Less than a second. Nimesha, I think, is the Sanskrit term. Um, so, it just kind of gives us a perspective of where we are in the in the in the entirety, and also we remember back to the Paramatma Sandarbha or Bhagavan's Bhagavat Sandarbha. I forget which of the two, but there's mention of the the infinitesimality <laughs> of of a material manifestation the whole material manifestation in regards to the Vaikuntha atmosphere. Not that it could be measured, but if it could be measured, the material manifestation itself, both in time, less than a second, and in size or quantity, I think the, the term is one one hundred billionth uh, or trillionth of, of the spiritual realm is the entirety of the material manifestation. So a very small portion, but a small portion that is not neglected by the Lord, as we'll see in the beginning of this Krishna Sandarbha, where all the various empowerments and avataric descents of Krishna are elaborated upon. And then they're unpacked as the Bhagavatam further unfolds from this first canto mentioning of the various avatars. Then all these avatars make an appearance, appearance later in the text where their advents are more elaborately discussed and 
their contributions uh, to the maintenance and and upkeep and infusion of bhakti is more um, completely revealed. So now we're going to go to the fourth verse, which corresponds to this fourth Anucheta, and we'll see this correlation uh, between the third chapter of the Bhagavatam's first canto, the verses there, and the Anuchetas as we go through this beginning of the Krishna Sandarbha. Uh, so Jiva's seeing some real significance in pointing out the various avatars leading up to the Parivas Sutra from the same chapter. He, he brings them all forth and gives some small explanation. And he's basically setting the groundwork for us consciously to be able to, to have the deepest appreciation uh, for Bhagavan Sri Krishna, that from him so many manifestations are coming for our well-being, for the jiva's well-being, while they are in the material world. Why we are in, why we are entangled here? The Lord is always coming again and again. Yada yadahi dharma sha in so many ways to maintain us, to support us, to enlighten us. He's manifesting. Um, and these various manifestations will be unpacked more and more going forward here. So Jiva continues, fourth Anucheta, in this way, having described two domains and functions of the Purusha, the true domains, of course, would be the Karna Dakshai Vishnu, Karna, Dak, Karna Ocean for Karna Dakshai Vishnu, and the Garbodaka Ocean within a specific egg like container for one universe, the Garbodakshai domain there, and the second Purusha, Garbodakshai Vishnu. Sutta now explains that. His form is of one type only, exactly like his original being, Swarup. So as Sutta is, is bringing out this likeness between the various Purusha manifestations, which we refer to as uh, Paramatma, and specifically that of Karna Dakshai and Garbo Dakshai Vishnu, uh, Jiva is, is highlighting that. So he then quotes the verse, the fourth verse, the devotional transcendentalists behold with enlightened vision that form of the Purusha, wonderful with thousands of feet, thighs, arms, and faces, possessing thousands of heads, ears, eyes, and noses, and effulgent with the thousands of crowns, garments, and earrings. The pronoun Ada that refers to the form of the Purusha, the compound Adabra Chakshusha, with enlightened vision, means 
through the eye of devotion, as Krishna says, O Arjuna, the supreme Purusha is attainable only by exclusive devotion. And also in the Shruti, only devotion leads to him. Only devotion reveals him. The Anucheta continues. Out of these two manifestations of the Purusha, the first having thousands of feet and so on, was delineated in Paramatma Sundarbha, second Anucheta. Referring to the form of the second Purusha, Sri Maitreya said in the eighth chapter of the third canto, by his shapely arms, he excels the bamboos that were like the arms of that emerald mountain, and by his beautiful legs, he cast aside the splendor of the trees constituting its legs. I'm going to continue the Yanucheta before we discuss some of these points. Also in Srimad Bhagavatam, third canto, with his pair of stout arms adorned with precious armlets and gems, and the thousands of crowns that adorned the hoods of Bhagavan Sesha appeared like peaks of gold. I'm sorry, I'll reread that. The thousands of crowns that adorned the hoods of Bhagavan Sesha appeared like peaks of gold. Additionally, in the 14th chapter of the ninth canto, Sri Sukha said, Atri, who was equal to his father in qualities, was the son of Brahma, who took birth from the lotus sprouted from the navel lake of the thousand-headed Purusha. So we can see that Sutta Goswami, by these statements in regards to the Purusha avatars, is bringing the consciousness to this to an understanding of the Purusha or the Paramatma feature of Bhagavan, he's bringing an understanding in a twofold way. First fold is that this manifestation can be fully appreciated and understood only through devotion, through bhakti. And second is the fact that he's starting to bring out the personal characteristics of these two forms of the Purusha. Because there's much to be said about the Purusha in the scriptures, which would lead one to see the Purusha as being not wholly transcendental, so to speak. In other words, this Virat conception has to be seen properly. It's a tool. It's not a true representation. It's a representation of divinity, but it's not ontological reality. The Lord, we can see that the so many things of the world around us, we can see in relationship to the Lord. We can see... Um, you know, the various planetary systems sitting on this Virat Purusha as its legs, thighs, chest, head, 
various levels of the planetary system, various levels of uh, human society and the functions of the jivas in human society according to their qualifications can be seen in relationship to the Virat Purusha. The various demigods and their functions can also be seen similarly in regards to that Purusha. But here, Sutta, and further reinforced by Jiva in the Sandarbhas, is bringing us to seeing these two manifestations of the Purusha, the first and the second, as completely pure Sutta, Sattva, manifestations of divinity, not in any way contaminated or touched by the energy that springs forth from them that manifests both the first creation, Sarga, and the second creation, Visarga, which is coming from the Brahma growing from the navel of the second Purusha. So again, although this can, Virat conception can be somewhat helpful to the yogi in aligning their consciousness to seeing divinity in the world around them in so many ways, let us not forget the true nature of even this manifestation of the Lord, the Paramatma feature. And as, as we've discussed, that this this particular uh, manifestation of Bhagavan that creates the material universe. Um, I lost my train of thought, excuse me. <laughs> um, so we will continue here. Some commentary from these this fourth Anacheda. In the verse from the third chapter, Sri Sutta Goswami describes the domain and function of the first Purusha, Mahavishnu and Karanadakshai Vishnu. In the next two verses, he explains the function and sphere of action of the second Purusha, Garbodakshai Vishnu. Now in the present verse, he describes Vishnu's form the question arises, which of the Vishnu forms is being portrayed? Is it that of the first or the second Purusha? Sri Jiva Goswami addresses this question in the present Anucheda. So really, the way Sutta discussed in the, in the Bhagavad he presented this verse, we could question which Purusha is he talking about? He replies that the form of both the Purushas is the same. They are identical in form. So again, this turning of consciousness to the Gaudiya perspective regarding even the Purusha manifestations based upon 
the new Praman of the Gaudiyas, the Bhagavat Purana. So this all gets into the establishment of the the underlying understanding of divinity as put forth by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and as canonized, as completely elaborated upon by the six Goswamis and the other immediate followers of Sri Chaitanya who are the architects of our Sampradaya. They've taken all the scriptures and they've They've churned the essence so that they could bring out the highlights of the Bhagavat Purana in such a way as to put forth the, the entirety of Krishna's most intimate love for his most intimate devotees. So it's not that Krishna comes alone, and it's not that in the Bhagavatam, he is presented as being alone. So we have to gradually build the groundwork which allows us entrance into those understandings. Continuing on to the fifth Anucheta, in this regard, in order to clearly describe Sri Bhagavan, Sri Sutta discloses the characteristics of the second Purusha, situated in the Garbhadaka Ocean, as being the source of the innumerable avatars. So here, it's Jiva's bringing out a perspective that all of the other avatars are coming forth through the second Purusha. And that that does make sense to us within a particular universe, universal shell, the, the Garbhodakshai Vishnu, the second Purusha, is, is there and is the, the avenue for the descent or the manifestation of all the various avataric descents within a universe. So from the Bhagavatam, the verse reads, the fifth verse, this form of the Purusha, Gavodakshai Vishnu, is the repository and imperishable seed of innumerable avatars. It, it is by a portion of his portion that the devas, human beings, and other forms of life are all brought forth. The pronoun itat this refers to the form of the Purusha situated within the universe, Brahmanda. The word nidanam, repository, means the eternal shelter, as the ocean is for all smaller bodies of water. Therefore, he is the imperishable avyayam, seed, bijam, meaning the inexhaustible abode of origination. He is the seed not only of the avatars, but also of the living beings as stated in the second half of the verse. So there's some extensive commentary here. So we're speaking of Garbhodakshai, Vishnu, the second Purusha, and in the uh, Chaturvyuha, 
Pradyumna. So the second Purusha is the source of various types of avatars. Now this commentary is very important for our understanding. So uh, please follow along attentively. The definition of an avatar is given by Sri Rupa Goswami when the above mentioned forms of Bhagavan appear as if without precedent for the sake of cosmic operations, either directly or through a medium, they are called avatars from the Lagu Bhagavatamrita. Now we go into how to look to the various manifestations of Swayam Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Previous to this definition, again, the, the framework for Gaudiya Vaishnavism is being established by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's immediate followers. Previous to this dis definition, Sri Rupa writes that Sri Krishna, the original form of Bhagavan, exists in three forms in the spiritual abodes. So prior to this definition in the discussion of avatars, Rupa has explained in his Lagu Bhagavatamrita the manifestations and expansions of Sri Krishna in the spiritual realm. Three, these three forms are called Swayam Rupa, Tadi Katma Rupa, and Avesh. Swayam Rupa is Krishna himself. Tade Katma Rupa forms are different in appearance from Krishna, although non-different from him in their essential being, Swarup. These are further sub subdivided into Vilas and Swamsa forms. What's further divided? This Tad Ekatma Rupa form, same as Krishna in his their essential being, but they come in two varieties. And those two varieties are divided into categories of Vilas and Swamsa forms. The Vilas forms are almost as powerful as Krishna but swamsa forms have a little less power. So they have this, in essence, the same sense of self, but some are more and some are less powerful. Vasudeva and Matsya are examples of these two categories, respectively. Avesh forms refers to Bhagavad's creation of specifically highly enlightened jivas with some particular aspect of his potency. Examples of this type are Narda, who's empowered with Bhakti, and the Kumaras, who are infused with Gyan. These three forms exist in the spiritual abodes, and they are indicated in the above verse by the phrase the above-mentioned forms, Purvokta.
commentary continues and it's it's very very enlightening here to, to understand these manifestations how krishna expands in lagu bhagavatamrita the adverbial phrase for the sake of cosmic operations visva karyatam can mean either for manifesting the universes as affected by mahavishnu or for some function within the universe, such as uprooting the unrighteous or blessing a devotee. Appearing directly, swayam means to manifest without taking birth from parents, as in the case of Matsya and Baraha. Appearing through a medium, Dwarantarena, means to take birth through parents, as in the case of Rama and Krishna. These avatars are further classified as the three types, namely Purusha avatars, Guna avatars, and Leela avatars. The avatars of Bhagavan are usually of the Swamsa and Avesh varieties. Summarized from Bhagavan, Lagu Bhagavatamrita. In the third chapter of the first canto, which is what we're studying here with Jiva in his Sundarbha, Sutta Goswami gives a list of prominent avatars to establish the identity of the original form of Bhagavan. In the verse under discussion, he says that the avatars appear from the Purusha and then return back into him. It is for this reason that the Purusha is designated both as the source, Bija, and the resting place, Nidana, of the avatars. This is stated as such because an avatar descends for the sake of universal operations, and the Purusha is the originator as well as the sustainer of the universes. Now we begin our step-by-step discussion. But I think what's significant here from this little bit of commentary is that he gives, it's mentioned here, Sutta Goswami gives a list of prominent avatars to establish the identity of the original form of Bhagavan. It's an interesting way to look at it that's been presented here in this commentary, that the purpose, the reasoning behind Sutta Goswami's step-by-step presentation in this third chapter of the avatars and the Bhagavatam's presentation of those avatars step-by-step throughout the first nine cantos leading up to the face of divinity, Sri Krishna in the 10th canto, it's all to establish the prominence of the original form of the Supreme Lord, Sri Krishna. So Krishna is the source of the Leela avatars. And we begin with the listing of the avatars. Now these are uh, without 
going into the specific leelas and which are completely elaborated in the Srimad Bhagavatam in various places, which uh, I've uh, those those locations are here in the presentation. Um, this will be a superficial overview of the descents of the Lord. And it's also explained, although they come and they, they're given some numerical uh, designation, even by Sutta Goswami himself, uh, that designation does not in any way signify uh, the chronology of their advent in the time of the material universe. So the first avatar, the Kumars. Jiva writes, thereafter, while describing at length the avatars of the Purusha, Sri Sita in the next 20 verses enumerates the appearances of the portions, Amsa, of the Purusha and the whole Amsi who encompasses them with the intention of disclosing their oneness. Oneness, of course, in this regard would be their oneness of intent, and of course their oneness in that they are uh, all uh, completely spiritual manifestations uh, or completely, completely empowered manifestations of the spiritual potencies of the Lord. So the sixth Anucheta corresponding with the sixth verse of the third chapter of the first canto, that very supreme deity, Deva, first manifesting himself as the four Kumaras, assumed the form of Brahmanas and underwent the formidable vow of perpetual celibacy. Little commentary here. Well, we'll read on in the Anucheta. Jiva continues. He who reposes on the Garbodak Ocean and whose form consists of thousands of feet and so on is that very supreme deity, Deva, known as the Purusha. This fact is also corroborated by including statement of this section. All of these avatars are either portions, amsa, or partial expansions, kala of the purusha, pumsa. That's from the 28th verse of this very chapter. The word kumaram means in the form of the four kumara brothers. The word brahma means becoming Brahmanas. So some interesting uh, insights in this commentary. The Kumars are four brothers named Sanat, Sanandana, Sanaka, and Sanatan. Although four, they are counted as one because they are always together, not only physically, but in awareness. They are the first sons of Brahma, and are thus part of the secondary creation, Visarga. They are the founders of the Kumar Sampradaya, often known as the Sampradaya in the present day. <clears throat> the Kumars are examples of 
Avesh avatars. Of course, we know Avesh means that they are empowered uh, by a specific Shakti of the Lord. And in the case of the Kumars, that Shakti is the Shakti of knowledge, spiritual awareness. Bhagavan's first avatar as the Kumars signifies that, is, that it is only by devotion to Bhagavan, Brahma, Charya, absolute reality, Brahma, and conduct, Charya, that one can transcend the preoccupation with sexual thought, which keeps one the material world. So, of course, we could say Brahmacharya uh, refers to a strict vow of celibacy, which, of course, the Kumars exhibited. Uh, so much so that uh, uh, they did not even want to mature in their physical forms uh, to a stage of uh, puberty where there would even be the question of having uh, spirit, uh, sexual inclination or thoughts thereof. So brahmacharya, of course, can be viewed in that light, and that certainly is one of the specific requirements for gyan realization, a very strict discipline. But there is another way to look at the term brahmacharya. It means when whose, whose consciousness is turned towards absolute reality. And their conduct within the material world supports that turning of consciousness. So that's also the more applicable definition uh, when it comes to the insights of our tradition. Uh, we're not, although there are certain, certainly many uh, very re renounced uh, brahmacharis and sannyasis in the four stages of sannyas uh, within our sampradaya. And these people, these individual devotees are extremely knowledgeable. Uh, uh, we do not limit ourselves simply. That's not the, the, the primary qualification for carrying forward our sampradaya. The primary qualification is spiritual knowledge. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself uh, spoke to this specifically, um, that uh, uh, Kibra, Kibra Nyasi, uh, that this, this kind of renunciation you can have, or you could even be sudra. But the main qualification is you have to have knowledge of Krishna, and that qualifies you 
to carry forth this my my sampradaya. So kiba vivripra, kiba nyase, uh, sudra kabinaya, a Krishna tattva, veda, a guru haya. So the main focus there is the knowledge of Krishna. So even the sudra with knowledge of Krishna can become the guru of Krishna. Bhakti. Continuing on to the seventh verse and Anucheda. When the earth had fallen into the depths of Rasatala, the Lord of Sacrifice assumed the second avatar in the form of the divine boar, Varaha, to uplift the earth so that the world could prosper. The pronoun Asya means of the world and Bhavaya means for its progress. In his third avatar, that very Purusha, Karbodakshai Vishnu, assumed the disposition of a seer. Now we're going on to the next Anucheta. Third avatar, assuming the disposition of a seer, a rishi, as the celestial sage Sri Narda propagated the Sattvata Vaishnav Tantra by which Freedom from bondage to action, naishkarmya, is attained through means of action. This eighth Anucheta continues. The and Jiva writes: the Purusha assumed the disposition of a seer, Rishi, and among such seers. He specifically accepted the form of a celestial sage, Srinarda. The word sattvatam means Vaishnav, and tantram here refers to the Pancharatra and Agama literature. The word karmanam, through means of action, implies that although Dharma performed for the sake of Sri Bhagavan is also of the form of action. By that yata, or in other words, by action according to the sattvata tantra, one attains naiskarmya. Because naiskarmya liberates one from bondage to karma. It is hence the state of freedom from karma. It merely appears to be non-different from karma. It is to be added to the sense of the complete, I'm sorry, is to be added to the verse to complete the sense. So it appears like karma, these actions that are taken in accords, according and in following the, the tantra, the pancharatra that Sri Narada gave us for our devotional practice, all the all how we perform actions for the pleasure of Krishna without any, um, any sense of, or any, um, 
inclination to self-aggrandizement in any way. So there are certain ways that we can form uh, an image of the Lord from material nature. We can worship that form and we can, through that worship, uh, deepen our devotion and appreciation for the Supreme Lord. We can perform various sacrifices for the betterment of our devotion, uh, make certain vows. Uh, so there, all this is in the Tantra uh, or the Agama literature, all these specifics of action which one could take for karma, but what Narda gave us in our Pancharatra is similar, gave us sacrifices and actions, which are all for advancement in bhakti. And they may look like some of the same sacrifices that are performed in the karma kanda section of the vedas so so many actions are there and and it may appear but jiva goswami's making it clear in this anucheta that that's what that's not what narada's pancharatra is about this is all nice karma and that means that it is all free of anything that would further bind us in karma through, through action. There's a couple pages of commentary here, and I will read them quickly. There's some interesting points, and we will uh, then conclude today's presentation. The Vaishnavas are also called Sattvatas, and thus the Sattvata Tantra means Vaishnav Tantra. It refers to the body of scripture called Pancharatna, Pancharatra Agama. The Vedas are called Nigama, and the Tantras are known as Agama. There are three divisions of Tantra, namely Vaishnav, Shaiva, and Sakta. Vaishnav Tantras are properly known as Pancharatra, Agama, Pancharatra, or simply Agama. The story of the appearance of the Pancharatra Agama is narrated by Bhishma in the 335th chapter of the Santi Parva of the Mahabharata. The karmas or ritual acts prescribed in the Pancharatra, Agama, are also a type of karma action, but they are not the cause of bondage. This is so because they are undertaken exclusively for the pleasure of Bhagavan, without any sense of doership, and without seeking any form of reward. They are therefore called karma or freedom from bondage to karma. The word tantra comes from the root tan, means, meaning to spread. Consequently, tantra is a scripture that extends knowledge. Tantra is a storehouse of mysticism, theology, philosophy, and religious principles. 
discussing the origin of the cosmos, the purpose of human life, the socio-religious system of Varnashram, the significance of samskaras, the practice of yoga, and so on. Bhagavan Vishnu is the principal deity of the Vaishnav Tantra. It deals with the process of worship, meditation, the rules of temple architecture, descriptions of the yoga pit, worship of Tulsi, types of devotion, and various procedures and rules of devotion. That takes us up to the um, next Anucheda, which we will dive into in our next discussion. I'll take a look here at the messages. No questions there. If anybody has a question, I will attempt to answer it. If not, I will thank you so much for your association. Vanchakalpatu bischa, kripa sindubhivacha, patitanam, pavanebhyo, vaishnavijo, namo namaha. Hare Krishna. Sri Chaitanya Kripa Bharam